0: Today's Purple Elephant shower thought, which I ripped off from Reddit, goes something like this. Erasers slowly sacrifice themselves for our mistakes, so they're the noblest writing tool in the bin. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Okay, today's guest is a truly amazing person. Um, A very close friend of mine in the comedy scene and just... In college, Um, they are the president of Battlewell and the founder and president of Stand Up Club at Mizzou, Um, a theater major, once journalism turned theater major, and um, they're from Texas. That is none other than Maddie Buntin. Welcome.
1: Yes, I am from Texas. All those things are true. I
0: can verify. I I had that written down in my notes, and I'm like, should I just (laughs) say that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so,
0: yeah. So the reason I picked out that that shower thought is because I feel like you're such a a humble person, even though you take such a a leadership role in the comedy scenes. So I want to start off by talking about, first of all, why you chose to get into the the leadership positions in uh, the sketch comedy organization at Mizzou and the stand-up club, which you founded. Uh, so maybe talk a little bit about that and then talk about your leadership style.
1: Okay. Um, so I got into, okay, hmm, how do I start this? In high school, I was also kind of like in a lot of leadership positions for the clubs I was involved in. Um, so back in the day when I did journalism, uh, I was managing editor of the school paper, and then I was president of my school's GSA, and I also held, um, an executive position with the National Art Honor Society in high school. Um, so when I came to college, uh, you know, uh, being in a leadership position wasn't very, like, foreign to me, I guess. (laughs) makes me sound like <laughs> a little for but whatever um so when I joined Battle Whale I initially wasn't going to um go out for anything because I felt like I was like too young um because I feel like in college like the hu- there's such a huge gap between like a freshman and a, like an older like junior or senior so I wasn't initially gonna run for anything um but then Actually, one of the older members in Battle Whale, who I looked up to a lot and still like talk, message and they were like, are you thinking about running for it? And I told them no. Um, And they said that I should because um, they thought I had a lot of potential, I guess, and a lot of like drive to work really hard. And I was really passionate about like what the message of Battle Whale and sketch comedy and everything. Um, so then that gave me like the push I needed to get involved, take the dive, I guess. Um, and so I ended up running for vice president and winning and, uh, obviously in my bio, (laughs) you know, that I'm now president of it. Um, so that's pretty fun. Uh, and then as far as standup club, I think there was just sort of this discussion on, um, Mizzou's campus, just having such a gap where we have just such a great comedy scene. We have like two improv teams and a sketch team, but there was like no stand-up club. And I feel like it's such like a staple in other schools' comedy scenes, like from you know what my friends have told me about their schools. Um, so I was like, well, there's no better time than the present, I guess, to get this thing running. Uh, so I decided to start it up, I guess. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't super hard, uh, just kind of filling out some paperwork. Uh, And then I was president of it, and Sean helps me (laughs) vice president vice presidentially. Um, And I I feel like I would describe my leadership style as like first and foremost I try to be like very caring towards people. Um, I try to like kind of set the like precedent like if any member is ever having an issue whether it be like comedy or otherwise related, just life related, that it's like very clear that they can come to me and I will help them Um, because I feel like kind of like maintaining that open communication and sort of like that honesty and like respect and value in like clubs is like super important to how they run. Um, And then as far as like actually like being the boss of things, uh, I think I tend to be kind of more like a little bit laid back um, until like I really need to get things done um, and then I do get a tad bossy, as I've been told in the past. Um, but it's not in a mean way. It's kind of just like, this is time to like buckle down and get things done. Um, well, mean. So yeah, and like. I
0: feel like just leading people who are like comedians, it's kind of that weird thing where everyone's always trying to play something off as a joke, or there's always kind of that deflection if you need to get serious or if you need to get sincere about something and just be like, this is what we need to do. It, it can kind of be hard to like show that you're being serious and not joking around without seeming mean. Cause I know that, um, like, and you know, we're both, uh, leaders in Stand Up club and that's never our intention, but I feel like sometimes our message can get messed up <laughs> when we're not story. making something into a joke.
1: Yeah I mean the other element too is like all these people are like to a certain extent like my friends like a lot of the people like not all of them obviously but like a lot of these people in these clubs are like my super close friends like I live with you know five of them (laughs) so uh, it's just kind of hard like leading your friends in that sense because it's like you see them as uh, like an equal to you, not that you mean anybody else is below you, but as far as like dynamic wise, I guess. So it's really hard to kind of like step up and be like, "I'm in charge of you for today." But I, <laughs> I, I think that,
0: I think that there's a a lesson in that because when it comes to just to give people a brief overview of what uh, the sketch comedy Battle Whale Club is like. Normally, when it's not a pandemic, there's a big performance at the end of the year where Uh, People that write a sketch that gets voted on will end up having that sketch in the show to do like a little skit, like an SNL type of thing. When it comes down to it, uh, when the writer is directing the people, I feel like, you know, it's always going to be your friends. And when I'm making a a short film or doing something like this, it's always going to be with my friends at first, whenever you're starting something new, so I feel like it is good to get used to being a in that leadership position, even among people you consider equals. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree, like it's just too <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. It's just like hard sometimes, but I think like the longer obviously that you do something, the easier that it gets, and at this point, like I can you know, I have a rain and I can be like, listen, guys, it's all fun and games right now, but right now we really need to, like, focus up and, like, complete what we need to complete. Uh, so I think I'm slowly finding a good balance with that. Thank yeah. God.
0: <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about your first time doing stand-up? Because I feel like that has to be a sure. good story.
1: My first time doing stand-up, I was very fucking scared um, because... I think, I don't know, it's kind of complicated because I like performing in the improv sense um, because, you know, you're with a group and you can kind of, like, rely on people to play off of Um, and I feel like stand-up is just, like, a whole entire different thing because, like, all eyes are on you (laughs) for both content and just, like, you know as you are there physically um and personally i'm i'm less so now but i'm like a very like kind of self-conscious person um just about like how my body looks to other people um and so that in combination with um how nervous i was about just like my content being funny uh it was very nerve wracking for sure uh, but I kind of just had to, like, force myself to go up there. I, like, went in the bathroom for a second and, like, zoned in. And I was like, listen, you can fucking do this. <laughs> like, as if you just get up there, it'll be, like, fine. Um, and it was, like, really intimidating because it was, like, you know, at the bar downtown. At this point, we didn't have the club yet. So it was just, like, at the bar downtown, I was just one of the people, like, performing. I didn't really know anyone there at that point because it was my first time being there. Um, in the comedic sense not in the bar sense but <laughs> um, and none of them knew me either so it was kind of just like I was walking into kind of like this group of strangers and being like hi um, but yeah eventually they called me up and I got up there did my set uh, I can't remember exactly what it was about because I kind of like block I'm gonna be honest I kind of like blocked it out in my brain <laughs> Um, because I feel like humor wise, I, I blocked it out. Cause I was like, Oh, that wasn't my best. But also just like, I was so focused on just like not getting it done, but I was just like so focused on like accomplishing what I was there to do mm-hmm. that. Like in my brain, I can't even like recollect it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like my experience is so similar where it was just like, I did all this preparation and then I blacked out on stage for five minutes and then I walked off.
1: You literally, yeah, you walk up there and you're like, okay, I can do this. And you just walk off and you're like, where was I yeah. for like five minutes?
0: <laughs> but I wonder, I wonder, cause I know, I feel like I know where my, um, desire to do stand up at first came from, but I'm curious, what was your desire? Cause I mean, for both of us, it was such a deep fear, but I was like, I have to do it. What do you think I, that reason was for you?
1: I really don't know. And it's kind of interesting because my dad asked like the same question (laughs) because he knows like how like weird I am with kind of like performing and all that. And he was like you are like well I don't understand like how you can do that because I could never do that in a million years. And I'm like listen there's just some sick sick drive in me that's like you you want to do this for some reason. I don't know if it's just like I think maybe it's just because I like to entertain people and it's kind of like a medium that's unique in the fact that like I can just go up and tell like a very funny story um, and make it kind of like the best it can be and then when people are like oh that's funny and they're like oh this person is funny Um, (laughs) I guess maybe there's like the attention part of it I enjoy that sometimes too um but I like really don't know it's kind of just like this this thing that I was like I just really want to do this because at that point I mean I had done everything else that there was to do I feel like
0: yeah um, just like the next next logical step for courage yeah <laughs> of, like getting <laughs> and, over a fear
1: yeah I guess it was just kind of like the next step I felt like because I mean my critique in comedy has always been like you're so in your head and like you're so self-conscious. So I was like, okay, well the one thing that can really break me out of that is doing stand up. <laughs> so, yeah, I did it and I'm still doing it. So I guess it yeah, kind of yeah. worked.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, that's funny for me. Like in my head, I I I think of it like, okay, I got to do the next thing and then the next thing. And for me after doing stand up, the next thing is like skydiving i'm like that's the next logical fear to get over because like stand-up is such a a lot of different ball game than even just like public speaking
1: because it's like it's worse if they don't laugh yeah because like for public speaking it's like you know you can you can be like there are obviously like good public speakers like there are there are things and qualities that make a good public speaker But I mean, you could write a speech and learn how to public speak and do all that stuff. But if you're not funny and you get up there and you're not funny, you feel like shit afterwards. Like It feels horrible. And that's the other reason why, I don't know. I think it's just like such an, I think it's like just a hobby that has such extreme highs and extreme lows. But you're like, I really like doing this for some reason. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) So you just kind of keep going with it. And you're like, maybe this will maybe something
0: will happen with this yeah yeah that's how I feel um well okay so obviously you lead the the comedy clubs and that's like a big part of your life but when it comes down to like being in school I know you're a theater major and I I'm pretty sure don't you want to do something with like writing plays is that correct
1: I am a playwriting major. <laughs>
0: is that is that just called a playwright? I don't know. A playwright. It's, it's
1: called technically in school terms. It's called um, uh, uh, I'm getting a degree in theater, um, but my emphasis is in writing for performance. But the shorthand version of it is I'm just going to school to be a playwright.
0: Yeah. Well, um, okay. So <laughs> that is like your current path. But I know before, like, you know, freshman year, you were going in to be a journalist and my question is when it comes to journalism which is telling stories like true stories versus um like writing plays where you're telling fictional stories which can be based in truth what do you think can get a message across better
1: i mean it kind of depends on like the goal you have i think because i mean both mediums of writing journalism and playwriting they have sort of like, you know, the same goal, you know? Uh, they just have different ways of doing it. Um, journalism, it's, it's more like reporting the hard facts, you know, and, and kind of like communicating um, what you, what you want to tell your audience in a very like logical way. Um, and for playwriting, it's completely different. It's very like, you convey what you want people To get out of your play through creativity and like emotion, like what emotion you can trigger in them, like with your writing. Um, And I just, I feel like I I relate to that more and I enjoy that a lot more. Um, So for me, that's the one I prefer. Yeah. (laughs) But either way, I mean, it's a, it's an, either, either one is a noble profession.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, not even from like the profession and career aspect. But I think in terms of getting a a message across, whether it's, you know, something like a truly noble purpose or something for like a business, I think tapping into the emotion is way more persuasive. And I think that's where theater and just fictional stories have their advantage over news, because I think we've always almost become numb to this, like, breaking news, like, like journalism's thing was tap on the fear response whereas a lot of other mediums will tap on the whole range of emotions whether that's like joy excitement or sadness or maybe some fear but it's like they use the whole emotional spectrum whereas news is just facts and fear and I think that's an oversimplification but I'm biased too (laughs) I mean it's also city. it's also
1: it's also hard because like comparing the two it's like playwriting just has like so many more elements I think that can kind of like convey your message because it's not just like the play it's also like the staging of the play and you know what goes into all of that like aspect side of it cuz like staging and physical stuff can like boost your message by like so much um and obviously journalism they can't really do that i mean broadcast you know kind of Um, but I feel like journalism can tap into emotions to a certain extent, but like playwriting just has like so many other elements that just makes it like way more powerful and a little easier.
0: Yeah. And well, I want to build off of that because I think whether it's plays or sketches, which are plays in that sense, they're just comedic, but this idea of like comedy versus drama Funny, lighthearted versus serious. In your opinion, what's easier to write? What do you like to consume in terms of like the content? Um, and just from both sides of creating and consuming, what do you like better? What's easier? Just talk about them.
1: So what I've learned, and honestly is like the big brained lesson that I want to pass on, is that as a writer, you don't have to choose between them. <laughs> um because in beginning playwriting my really big issue was that i felt like as far as like what i wrote and as far as my skill set it was very one dimensional um in the sense that like i only liked to do comedy writing um personally like for me like being sort of like dramatic and more serious in my writing is like a level of vulnerability that i just like to this day still makes me like a little uncomfortable Um, but I talked to my teacher about at the time and he was like, well, like you don't have to choose, like if you're writing a serious play, it doesn't have to be like all serious all the time. Like you can still have like comedic moments and honestly, like that'll probably benefit you because then your play like, isn't so like heavy and it just feels, you know, better to the audience to like, kind of consume that heavy message, but also have like, kind of like a silver lining. And I was like, damn, you're right. So um, now the plays that I write, I think, are a lot more well-rounded because I now kind of understand this concept of like blending in between them. Um, like for example, like a play I wrote recently, um, because this this school year I decided to you know exclusively focus on like LGBT content uh, because you know the media scams us and I'm tired of it. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, so for my first play, you know, we had to write a 10-minute play, um, which is, you know, a play up to nine or 10 pages. Uh, and so, you know, it's a it's a bit more simplistic. It kind of focused on like single scene, single moment kind of thing. Um, and I chose to write, you know, a coming out story of this girl who is kind of forced to come out to her parents because she punches a homophobic person at school. Um, because, you know, it's a group of boys that are kind of threatening her. And the implied, the implied threat is some sort of, like, sexual assault. Um, and, you know, that's something, like, very real that, like, does happen to people. And, like, it's been threatened to me before. And it's been threatened. I feel like a lot of, like, um, either women or, you know, non-binary people who do kind of, like, identify with the lesbian, bisexual side of things. They get that so often. And it's just such a real serious thing to deal with. But also, like within the play, there's moments of kind of just like this family dynamic that are, you know, kind of naturally funny. Like there's just like a corny dad who's, you know, asking all these questions and kind of making dad jokes all the whole time. And there's just kind of like relatable stuff in there that happens like before the big moment. That's like kind of like talking about college applications and the girl just kind of being exasperated like with her parents that are like kind of ragging on her. Um, And I feel like by including that sort of like comedic, you know, comedic bit character and the dad and kind of making these family interactions like a little funny before it gets serious. And then at the end also being able to like lighten it, it makes the message like so much more consumable um, and a little bit easier to watch. And I also think it makes the like dramatic climax of the whole thing like hit a lot harder and sort of like makes people like, it stands out more. And so it makes people like really reflect on it. And like, I think it really is like able to convey that experience. Um, as far as what I consume, mostly comedy. Don't like watching sad stuff. Don't like watching tense stuff. <laughs> it makes me sad, it makes me tense. I feel, I like feel too much of it. It makes me nervous. <laughs> but so you're you're a, a horror movie fan, right? Hmm?
0: You're a horror movie fan?
1: Well, yeah, that's a little bit different. <laughs> That's a whole. It, 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 either I, it's very, very two extremes. But I mean, comedy and comedy and horror also are kind of like very closely related in a strange way, um, because they're just like I mean, something can be comedic and and scary at the same time too, as well as comedic and dramatic. Um, but yeah, it's two very opposite sides of the spectrum. I either like consuming comedy or only like watching horror movies. Um, so that's it. that can be dissected, however you want to dissect it.
0: <laughs> Do you have um, like specifics that are your favorite?
1: Specific favorite horror movies? Let me get into. Or it. yeah,
0: just comedies um, only.
1: <laughs> Let me get into it. Um, so my favorite, I would say, like my favorite movie movie of all time is called Sing. It's called Sing Street, and it's an amazing film about uh, <laughs> this boy who lives in Dublin um and he starts a band in the 80s uh to kind of like impress this to impress this girl that he just wants to you know that he's fallen in love with and he just wants to date her um so he kind of like forms this band and has her like star in her in his music videos and you know the stuff you know it's very like low quality like 80s kind of like big bulky building um, and I just find the story it's like a coming of age story obviously, which are like a dime a dozen nowadays, but it's like it has elements that are very like endearing because it's like so it's like the backdrop of this in you know Ireland going on at the time is just like extreme recession. like everyone's losing their jobs and like in the background of this boy, like the main character's life is like his parents are like getting divorced because his mom's having an affair and his like siblings are, you know kind of disenfranchised and his brother dropped out of college but like in the in the forefront of like all the serious stuff he's just you know starting a band with these kids and he just believes that like anything is possible and it's kind of like a very endearing little film that (laughs) that has a good soundtrack that I enjoy (laughs) um that's my all-time favorite movie um my favorite horror movies um, not to be on the bandwagon, but I kind of think Ari Aster is a genius. Um, his mind, I would love to I would love to peek in because his two movies that he's made, the the major motion picture movies, Midsummer and Hereditary, just amazing. In my opinion, like every horror movie should be like those. Um what do you I think? What really, traits
0: did they have that you think make them stand out?
1: I just think like story-wise just like the things he kind of like plays with like within his story like are at the root are so like different from other horror movies I feel like because other horror movies I feel like now are you know all based in like oh man there's like a ghost in this house and like, you know there's all this stuff going on we got to figure out the ghost and you know you know are, or it's about kind of like saw like someone's getting murdered or something and you know those also like I don't want to you know diss on those because Though in that genre of horror movie, there have been like excellent films made in the past, obviously. Um, but what I really enjoy about Ari Aster's work <laughs> is that sort of the base he starts with is just like some sort of relationship dynamic. And in a lot of his interviews, if I remember correctly, um, you know he he focuses on the relationship aspect of the movie less than the horror aspect of the movie, um, which I think is uh, kind of interesting. And then Midsummer obviously, is about a breakup, very clearly. (laughs) It's about kind of like how hard it is, like, once you've fallen out of love with somebody to, like, kind of, like, break that relationship off. But, like, once you do, it's like a whole new kind of, like, world opens up to you. Um, So those elements kind of, like, in my opinion, elevate them above the rest. But... I also like just ghost movies. Um, my favorite kind of ghost one is just The Conjuring. For me, in my opinion, I, I just like it. I don't know why. Um, and then obviously anything Jordan Peele makes, I love it. And he used to be a comedian and now he produces like great horror content. So he's kind of like what I like aspire to be. I would love to be a comedian, but I'll like write horror movies and do all that cool stuff. Well, in,
0: uh, in terms of your influences for your current work, whether that's, like, the sketches you write or, um, you know, like, the play that you just described, are there specific people where it's, like, I really like their style of dialogue or I really like the way they, like, show something? I I don't know. Do you have any people like that, whether it's comedians who you want to emulate, like, currently and not necessarily – They're just like, oh, I love and appreciate their work.
1: This is an easier question to answer for like stand-up wise.
0: You can just do it for that. (laughs) Um,
1: But like two comedians I really, really like and respect and enjoy. Um, One of them is Jen Kirkman. She's really cool. Um, She has a few stand-up specials on Netflix. Highly recommend them. Um, She does a lot of like storytelling content like me. Um, She focuses really heavy and draws inspiration from like things that happened to her as you know, this kind of (laughs) older woman, just kind of her experiences like going throughout life. It's very like funny, very relatable. Um, And she also like outside of her comedy um, really is very like involved and passionate about sort of like fighting sexism within the comedy community. Um, which is something that I just really admire about her. Um, and so I like her quite a bit. Um, the other one is a bit of a controversial guy, but I'm going to say it anyway, Bo Burnham. I think his mind's huge. And I'm going to tell you why, because when I watch his standup, it's not just like jokes. Uh, obviously like the very obvious element that he includes that not a lot of people include is the songs. Um, but It's like he packages it all up into like this incredible just like performance. And it's like, it's not like, you're just not going to see a show. You're going to like have an experience of like so many things of like a visual, obviously kind of like visual auditory experience, um, but also like an incredible like emotional experience um, from, you know, his work. And I, I mean, I don't know if I could ever emulate that, but God, I sure would like to. <laughs> not in the same ways, obviously. I'm not very musically inclined, um, but sort of like, I think my goal within my work, whether it be like comedy or like playwriting is to always like make people feel something, whether it be like happy or, you know, uh, just feel for like the characters with my plays and stuff like that. Um, for playwriting, it's kind of hard. I wouldn't say I have a specific playwright tour I look up to. <laughs> um, but as far as like kind of inspiration for like what I write, it's very heavily based <laughs> on, I would say my own experiences, but also like cultural experiences that I think are kind of like underrepresented Um, specifically dealing with like, I have a lot of like female and non binary protagonists in my plays. So I feel like that's not really represented. Well, they're not kind of just like romantic interests or anything. They're like really strong willed people um, who have like goals and they sometimes they murder people and you know, but it's always kind of like for a valiant reason. Um, And I also try to display kind of like non-traditional family dynamics Uh, because that's kind of, like, how I grew up. I grew up, like, raised pretty much exclusively by a single father, Um, and I think the common kind of, like, cultural belief is that, like, your parents will always care for you, or, like, the mother will always care for you. Um, In my experience, that's not true, Um, so I kind of try to write my, like, very first play I ever wrote. It was the parents, like, didn't want anything to do with the children until they could like benefit off them for some reason. Um, But then they would, they were taken in, the children were taken in by, you know, a different um, sort of like adoptive mother. Um, And yeah, it's kind of, those are the kind of things that I kind of draw from and like to incorporate. It's either, it's not really to be subversive. I think it's kind of just to like show that that exists and yeah, I think that's what, yeah. that's what I want
0: to say. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to touch on something you said a, a little bit ago with uh the way Bo Burnham gives a performance. Because I, I completely agree that just it's not just the songs that set him apart from other comedians. It's There's a whole theatrical element where there's a lot of rhythm in what he does. But taking not just Bo Burnham, but all live performances – And obviously, you know, we have to take all this with a grain of salt because of uh, the virus. But yeah, (laughs) whether like before the virus, I feel like we've been on a track to where we have a desire for quicker content, more rapid content stuff we can just scroll through on our phones. And yet I think theater is still alive in the same way that, uh, paperback books have not died out just because we have the kindle um so i guess my question or just something for you to touch on is how do you think the the live performance element of theater and just any performances including stand-up and you know musicals music anything like that how do you think that will what do you think that will do in the next couple of years as the virus um, gets less and less threatening as we find a vaccine.
1: You know, I hope it gets less threatening because damn, that would be really great. Because right now, I mean, obviously like live performances are adapting. Like I don't think they're ever going to go away because I think the reason they've like survived so long um, without being dramatic is it's kind of like we have like sort of like this fundamental Uh, like craving I guess for for hearing stories and getting like absorbed in stories and storytelling I mean just like oral storytelling has been going on like human you know evolution for like thousands and thousands of years um so I don't think it's like ever gonna be a thing that goes away right now it's just obviously like very hard because you know whether you record something or you know have it on zoom it doesn't have the same like theater magic <laughs> um in the way that like being in a live show does because it's like being in a live theater show is such like an interesting like feeling that I don't really think can be like replicated in the oral. it's not to sound too much like a theater major um but it's just like there's so many elements that have gone into like creating this story that you're seeing in front of you it's like these actors that have like practiced their asses off and the costuming and the lights and the sound design. And just like so many people, of like various skills have come together and are just like creating something that is like so special and like so moving that's just like a very like, I don't, I don't know how to like phrase this, but it's just like an experience that you like can't get anywhere else other than that place. And so I hope the virus goes away. But if it doesn't, I mean, I'm sure that it'll find a way to adapt, most likely, by film.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to ask, uh, if not film, then I wonder, would VR be able to get close to emulating that? I mean, if you have uh, a VR setup where you can look anywhere you want, because I feel like that's part of the play, is that it's not someone with a camera telling you where to look, it's... Mm-hmm here's the whole world, you can choose what to focus on. Obviously, there's like a main character, but if you want to like watch one person dancing in the background, you can do that. And I think there is something special about that uh, ability to not be told where to look, and you can just look wherever you want. But, okay, moving away from theater, kind of. Um, I know (laughs) that one of the things you're into is Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Oh, God, okay, expose me as a... Uh,
0: well, I I think that's so cool. I'm not, I don't know a lot about it, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but the idea of it really intrigues me, especially when it's something that people are like committing to and creating these like grand characters in these grand worlds. I wonder, well, first of all, you can explain a little bit of like what you do with that. But I wonder how does that relate to creativity because you're building these worlds and you're building these characters and these storylines. Do you think that makes you a, a better writer when it comes to something like more real and down to earth, like the, the play you described before?
1: Um, I think, I don't know. I think in the way it relates to creativity, obviously like the creativity of the world building lies mostly with like the dungeon master or the game master, whoever's running your game or campaign or or kind of like running the show Um, because the game master dungeon master, he, they can sort of like construct this whole world, you know, the physics of the world, you know, what language happens, like they can, you know, construct everything about it. And obviously, you know, D and D releases books that kind of like, you know, uh, have parameters for, you know, stats and all that stuff, which make it easier. Um, but like within that format, you can kind of do like whatever you want, um, which is the create creativity aspect of it. And then there's this other aspect where it's like problem solving to a certain extent, because the DM gives you, you know, these missions that you go on, uh, most traditionally, that's the format in which I play. Um, we go on, you know, these these missions that kind of have to do with like a bigger overall story, um, and like within these missions, there's not one correct way to do things. Um, there are like many different ways you can kind of like complete the mission or like get what you want. Um, and I think that also, oops, sorry, my email in a reader playwriting email, uh, <laughs> but I think uh that also is kind of like very creative in the sense that like you always constantly like have to be thinking about like what you want to be doing um because it's not you know you're not guaranteed to win uh and you're not you know guaranteed to get what you want unless you like think of a way to do it um which is what i really enjoy about it uh because i like doing little like problems like that um and then obviously like the creativity in the character building um because you kind of just make a person <laughs> for lack of a better term you just make a person uh you know obviously dnd provides you um the classes and races um personally you know i really like playing clerics <laughs> they're the the healers in the game um and they can serve like different gods and stuff there's a weird religious undertone that i don't focus too much on but <laughs> uh, i focus most on the healing aspect but then it's like uh that in combination with like wizards and you know they or not with wizards also exists but that the classes in combination with the races and um you know what attributes that gives you you know you can adjust that to like how you want to play the game um which i think is also very cool uh that's also a creative element of it um i feel like that that of, sounds
0: like a lot like just improv in general i mean like it, when we yeah, do I mean, comedy improv kind of
1: like, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, improv in the sense that it's like you're putting yourself into like this different character, you know, when I'm playing this game, you know, I'm not thinking as myself, I'm thinking as this other person, like, what is this person's motivations, like, what do they care about? What is their backstory? Um, so you really like to see yourself in that person's shoes. <laughs> As far as like everything you do, uh, which is, yeah, it's kind of like improv in a sense, I think, <laughs> like that. Um, and as far as it, how it influences like playwriting and stuff, I mean, it's just another thing to like move the muscles in your brain, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't, what I do in DD, I mean, I don't, that doesn't really impact my storytelling. Sometimes I do tell stories within a, you know, fantasy world, which I mean, that would come into that, obviously. Um, but I kind of think it's just like, a little it's like a little hobby um <laughs> and for some people it's like you know more than a hobby um that you know creative people are kind of just like attracted to because it allows you to like use that special part in your brain that makes you go oh i really like doing this
0: <laughs> what what do you have uh cooking up like play wise
1: um play wise uh this is very interesting um so cooking up play wise uh I'm submitting that one play that I described earlier, the 10 minute coming out story uh, to, you know, a competition, the local Midwestern competition for playwriting. My, I have two plays left kind of like in the semester that I'm required to write. Uh, (laughs) One of them is a one act and then one of them is like a full play, uh, big boy play. (laughs) The one act is kind of gonna be another kind of like comedic piece uh, uh, similar to my 10 minute play. Uh, It's about uh, a woman Who's getting married to her partner, um, but she's afraid of getting married because of her parents' divorce. It's it's kind of like a story about like how she doesn't want to become her parents and how like our kind of like how our parents' relationships like can you know influence our fears of like what our own relationships are gonna be like. Um, but it's gonna be dealt with in a very like uh, she's trying to sabotage her own wedding kind of background, which I think will be very fun um the big the big boy full play is going to be very big dive um very big you know offshoot it's going to be a very serious play it's going to have some comedic moments in it obviously but you know the overtone is going to be very much one of drama um and it's going to be about uh a person her name or their name i would i should say um is robin and it's kind of like their experience coming to college and uh, discovering that their gender is not what they thought it would be. Um, and kind of going about their college experience. It's, it's their fr- like first semester freshman year college is like where the play takes place. Um, and you know they have this friend that they come in with from their hometown. She doesn't really, she's not with the messaging. She doesn't really understand like what Robin's going through and that causes like a lot of friction in their relationship. Um, Robin makes a new friend in college, um, who is a gay man, Tony. Uh, (laughs) And he kind of like brings Robin to, you know, LGBT meetings and, you know, the whole thing and kind of exposes him to that community. Um, But then they also have a love interest, Alexis, and it is, not a good relationship it does turn out to be something that really like negatively impacts Robin as far as like um it kind of deals with the topic of how you know within you know strict binary sort of like gay lesbian um a lot of people in those communities identify that way are not very accepting of trans or like gender non-conforming people um so it kind of touches on that but basically uh the whole entire message that I want People take and sort of like the ending scene of this play is. They're throughout this first semester of college they're discovering their gender through like the performance of theater and the performance of sort of gender bent roles in theater, um, and at the end of the play they end up auditioning for a different play, play within a play, um, and they get the part, but the audience never knows which part, and the play ends right as the other play begins. Um, and it's kind of, it's a commentary. And the main thing that I kind of want people to take from this whole thing is like, among the other messaging is like a person's gender and like what they choose to identify with isn't really anybody else's business. It isn't really anything that other people need to try and like question them about. And I think it's, it's kind of like a thing that, um, you know, binary gay people and like cis people have a very hard time understanding because they're not really with that idea of like gender performance and gender expression, um, and a person's own gender can be like whatever it is. Um, and it's kind of it kind of like it kind of deals with that voyeuristic element of like wanting to know like what what are they really, um, and they and you never find out. Uh, and I think I think hopefully that's. Hopefully that's something that, you know, makes a few people start thinking, maybe I shouldn't ask, you know, what's in their fans and maybe I shouldn't, you know, uh, ask all of these kind of like violating questions um, that have to deal with gender and stuff like that. But yeah, that's the rundown, that's the plan. If you follow If you follow my Twitter, Maddie underscore 318, uh, I, might, uh, I might make a Dropbox where you can access these plays and read them potentially. Uh, so watch out for that, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, that's the,
0: that's the scoop. I'll end with one last question that I feel like kind of sum up everything we've talked about. What is your definition of great art? Oh, God. And you can interpret that as <laughs> comedy or serious. I mean, we talked about how that both have their importance.
1: I think, oh man, this is such a hard question. I think in my opinion, and take my opinion with a grain of salt, I think that good art, as far as like writing and performance, um, is kind of, ba- it kind of goes back to the emotion thing again. It's kind of like, for me, it's like, did it make you like feel something very strongly? Did it send, like, a very clear message to you? Is it something, like, you're going to remember um, and, like, take with you? Uh, and that's kind of what I think as great art. And it's also something that can kind of come from anywhere. Like, great art in the theater sense isn't just, like, Broadway. Like, I've had, you know, fantastic theater experiences at, like, my local community theater. Like, one of the one of the shows I remember most, honestly, is a production of, like, uh, a production of the musical Cabaret uh, in my like local community theater that was you know ten minutes away from my house in Texas, um, and it was because of like just like the message that I got from it because like before I saw it I had just listened to you know a few of the songs and especially kind of like the one the one main song Cabaret. Um, it, at first, before I saw the musical. I interpret it as, like, a song that's, like, kind of telling you to, like, you know, live your life, like, who cares, like, what other people say, like, you can, you should do, like, whatever you want, like, whatever, you know, kind of makes you happy, even if it's, like, outside the norm, but when you see the play, you realize that the song is kind of really, like, about the character, like, distracting herself from, like, all the crazy shit that's going on, and in that case, it was, you know, concentration camps, Nazi Germany, you know, World War II, um and it's kind of just like choosing to remain ignorant um in the face of like all these crazy things that are happening um and it was like a really profound experience and like a really powerful experience and in my opinion that was like great art um but it came from like a very small place so i think great art yeah it's like great art depends on like what you feel and the messaging behind it for me personally can come from anywhere uh and I you know, I enjoy absorbing it. I enjoy I enjoy yeah. consuming it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I love that. I love that definition. Uh but with that that's all the questions that I had for you. Uh you're an awesome guest. Um is there anything you wanna I don't know. Use my platform to the five people uh, that'll listen to this? <laughs> Do you wanna say anything? Shout out any you
1: know shout I, out yourself,
0: I, shout I, out your Instagram. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I, I guess, like, I, I feel like I, most of my, most of my brain is on Twitter. I mean, Maddie underscore eight if, you, if you're interested. Um, I, I hope I didn't sound like an idiot on here.
0: <laughs> this has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.